Welcome, everybody, to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. That's right. It's the end of 2020. Thank God we're here. Your host today is Brian Soulman Solak. Thank you, Soulman, for bringing us out of these dark ages and into the new bright and shining 2021, which hopefully won't suck as much as it used to. I'm Abraham DeWeese, and with us today is a plethora, a litany, a cosmos, a galaxy of stars in Matthew Page. <laughs> is that question? Michelson. Was, was that was my name a question? <laughs> Robert, <laughs> Robert, the SoCal Seahawk English. And well, welcome back because we've had you before, but it's been quite a while. The man, the myth, the legend in Ian Looney. More the legend than anything. <laughs> I'm surprised that Ian is actually ex- in existence. Like, this, this is, uh, this is, this is like, you know, soothsaying from uh, the Roman and Greco, you know, the, the Greco-Roman times. Yeah, I traveled through time forward about two years <laughs> to when I last did it, yeah. Why are you a legend, Ian? You say you're a legend. Tell me why. Because I may not actually exist. <laughs> okay. That might just be in your imagination. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Not, not all legends are, are great. Some legends are just, like, they exist. <laughs> and, and and some people get completely forgotten by by the intro guy and have their name as a question. <laughs> More to the point, Matt, it was it was it was that my my mouth didn't want to do what my brain told me ah. and introduced you. you didn't, I really you didn't wanted want to, to say just my rush name. ahead. I wanted to rush ahead to uh, Rich Robin and Ian. Oh yeah. But then there was like this roadblock of like. Ah, that you know, just this acrid taste in my mouth of like mad blah blah blah, blah. Matthew, ooh, you know, Paige. And, that uh, starts happening at your age. Anyway, we got a great show, right? <laughs> right, bro. Yeah, yes, yes, we do. And then I'm <laughs> I'm gonna cheat here for a second. I'm gonna give it my early shout out. It's a shout out to our uh, Abraham Deweese. I know he doesn't like to get shout outs, but. We we appreciate you and all that you do for this podcast and for Sales Sports Union, and I know you got to put up with a lot of bullshit. So thank you for that. So suck up. Uh, I, I, if I'm sucking up, great. I don't all care. Right. Did, I, did, I, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> Any, I, anyways, I, I, Ab- that's my shout out tonight. We'll do the rest of them later, but I wanted to give Abraham a shout out. He deserves it. Anyways, um, obviously he's not answering, so you know I probably should. So wait. Was, silence. I was waiting for all that applause from the people here on this show, but uh, apparently I have to generate my own. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> your, uh, public. Moving on, there. Seattle Seahawks won the division last Sunday. They beat the LA Rams 20 to 9. What are your first thoughts? I want to start with SoCal Rob. I mean, why, how, how, how could we beat them last week when we. Suck pretty much a few weeks ago against them. I mean, let's talk about it. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, we have to go with the obvious things. You know, our team was not um, was not whole when we played this game last time. Um, I don't believe Chris Carson played in that game. Um, you know, it was, it, it, you know, we, it, we, we are a different team now in, in, in a few different ways um, than we were when we played them last time. Um, you know, and even then, 
we we it wasn't like they they handled us we played a you know a fairly poor game on our own we couldn't get out of our own way it seemed um uh, you know a, a few a few fixes on execution and maybe play calling in that game and you know we might we might be talking about how we just swept the rams so um i think this is more of a return to normality than anything um the rams had their struggles this year um we we should have we should have won both games and so this this game to me was in in one way exactly what to expect um but i do want to say not to ramble too much on uh as we kick off the show but what i think the seattle seahawks did and i talked about this in my podcast um which will be up later um is validated themselves i think i think there's a lot of validation that happened um with the win on sunday with with beating the rams which was a, a you know a, a, a an important game with taking the division which is a big deal heading into the postseason because if you look at all the quit well there was a lot of question marks you know um up to and including you know uh re-signing pete carroll uh trading away draft picks for jamal adams um signing signing um uh carlos dunlap who was a who was a you know somebody who was angry and mad where he was and why do you want to bring in that bad attitude to your locker room you know um there's so many things that were that had been questioned um you know and i think there's validation and here we are um 11 to maybe a 12 win team uh winning their division and setting ourselves up for a good postseason run um so that that's what i get out of out of sunday afternoon Fair enough. How about you, Ian? We haven't talked to you this season about the Seahawks. I mean, what are your thoughts about them winning the division last Sunday and quick brief thoughts about the season in whole? Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of differences between uh, this what happened this week and what happened back in November. For First of all, uh, the defense is healthy now. And it's not just the defense, the running backs too. When the Seahawks played the Rams the first time, they had neither of their two running backs. I think Carson was in, but he was pretty hobbled and Hyde was out completely. They didn't have Adams at that time. I think Shaq was hurt. Uh, there was a bunch of injuries on the defensive side of the ball that made them quite vulnerable. It just, and frankly, like, and Robert made some good points. They played a pretty ugly game that week and they still only lost by a score. So I think coming back and winning this one was kind of um vindication if nothing else and certainly showed that how far they've come as far as the season turnaround matthew page uh i want to confirm that yeah carson carson wasn't in the, the the prior game at all um we had collins who carried who carried it for 11 times that game he was our chief runner so yeah i mean exactly what what they were saying the, the prior the prior game we didn't have our best guys they did uh for the most part uh we were playing with a very thin roster at the time uh this weekend the whole roster for the majority showed up and it looked like it uh we had some great plays from some great great players that helped save it and we we were true to ourselves we we're true to our identity we do we, we we relied heavily on the rushing attack mostly i mean yeah i guess russell got 220 something passing yards but it was mostly the ticky tacky little, you know, quick slants and stuff that, you know, quick over the middle stuff because uh, they were pretty good at limiting us down the field. Um, but, you know, we took we took exactly what their defense could give us, and for the number one defense in the league, which they are, uh, we put 20 points up on them. And, uh, you know, I mean, any day any day you do that against the best the best defense in the game, you're gonna have a fair shot at winning, and that's what we did. So I, I think we should feel pretty good about that win. 
I 100% agree with you, Matt. I know that's a rarity, but I do agree with what you said. So shout out to you, Matt. Good job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rich, real quick, were you able to see the game, and what were your quick thoughts? Are you there, Rich? Is he on mute? <laughs> Did we lose you, Rich? Hey, there we are. Okay. There we go. There was a mute button. Yes, there was. Okay. It's my apologies to our to our loyal listeners. So here's the thing. The Seahawks, either by design or by accident, put Russell Wilson on the edge a lot this game. And it led to key plays. Um, the little rollout under pressure where he flips it to Carlos Hyde, who rumbles for 18 yards. The rollout in the um, you know the start the the first drive of the second half he rolls out he's looking to pass looking to pass looking to pass no one's open and he just tippy toes into the end zone for the you know for the for the first Seahawks touchdown. When you put Russell Wilson on the edge of a defense, good things happen for the Seahawks. It's been true since the first day he put on the number three and started for the Seahawks. Um, it's really really sexy. To have Russ cooking, but Russell on the edge moving is far more about winning, far more useful and dangerous and likely to lead to a Super Bowl berth. I've never heard you use that term sexy before. That was kind of (laughs) interesting. Well, I mean, Uh, everyone likes the quarterback that drops back 35 times, throws the ball, you know, averages 300 yards, passing. A game that was like Russell the first half of the season. Yeah, I think that we would agree that like the last few weeks it's been less sexy, but more uh, likely to lead to wins, <clears throat> and that's ultimately what we want as Seahawks fans. Hundred mm, percent, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, moving on, our this is Abraham's stats and and question, so I question it, but. Uh, Seattle's defense has given up an average of 13.7 points over the last six games. He says that they got LA got 10 last week, but I, I thought they got nine. But anyways, Rob English, what's going on with our defense? Why are we doing so well? Uh, apparently, um, it would seem that Ken Norton isn't a complete waste of space. Um, I, you know, we we talked a lot of mess about uh, uh, you know. Kenny, you know, all season long. Um, and honestly, I, I will, I will honestly say that I even turned the corner on him. Um, I was, you know, always, you know, hopeful, if not confident that, um, it was going to be, it was going to come together at some point. And, and I can't remember which game it was, but it was, it was, um, I can't remember exactly which game it was, but one game a few weeks ago, I was like, all right, okay. I think there's something needs to change with the old Ken Norton, but here we go. Much like the Seahawks always do, whether it's offense or defense, as we head uh, uh, and, and progress through that, la- that final quarter of the season um, and into the, you know, into uh, crunch time and, you know, the, in the time getting ready for the playoff run, we just get it together. We just seem to always do it. And this season seems to be no different. Um, everybody's healthy for the most part now. Um, and and they've, they've had the ability to play together um uh for multiple weeks in a row and so there's been you know a gelling if you will um and and players are 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 knowing their jobs and knowing what the other guys jobs are and 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 they're communicating d um uh uh, dj reed is out there playing out of his mind um i mean it's just it's just coming together exactly how we 
you know, had said we, we, we thought it would, we just thought it would happen a lot sooner than it did, but it happened. It is happening at the perfect time. And, you know, at the end of the day, here we are, we, we did a lot of belly aching, but we're 11 and probably 12 and four after Sunday. Um, and I mean, it, it almost seems like all the belly aching we've been doing all year was off or not. Does this save Ken Norton's job, whether we, you know, make it and win one game in the playoffs or two games? I mean, is will Ken Norton be back next year? Uh, that's a good question. It's a really good question because, I mean, it, it, I find it hard to say with confidence <clears throat> that after having your defense be bad on a historic level for a majority of a football season, that your job is, you know, yeah, not in jeopardy. Um, but I mean, the the second half of this season, you know, we, Seattle has the best football, best defense in football. You know, uh, so I mean, it, it's a tale of two halves, a tale of two seasons, a tale of two halves mm-hmm. of the season. Um, you know, so if we take, we make a playoff run, and and we and we go ahead and knock out teams like Green Bay or 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 um, or New Orleans, and w- with with great defensive efforts, you know, he might he might earn him earn him you know himself off of the hot seat. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to call real tough to call. I don't have an answer for that. Understood. That is a tough question. Fair, fair enough. Um, uh, other questions I do have about the game, but I got to jump to this question with our special guest star, Ian rumor has that you think Jamal Adams sucks. Why are you, (laughs) why are you such a hater? I mean, all right, well, let me qualify this. So let me start off with saying we paid two first round picks for Jamal Adams. So I, I use that as a standard to go by. And there are concerns that I have, uh, less so if you look at the at the, at the the Rams game, because they don't really have a good tight end. But I consider one of the main jobs of a strong safety, and this is one of the main things that Cam Chancellor did so well, was he could take the tight end out of the game if, if a team had a good tight end. The, the, the Red, the, whatever, the Washington football team or whatever they're called, Washington FC or something, but anyway, they had a mediocre tight end, but they kept going to him, and he was always open the entire game. And he got—he had a career game. He had like 130 or 140 yards. He was like over half their passing offense, and they had no answer for that. And I questioned why. I, and if you look at it, the Seahawks are scheming to facilitate Jamal Adams blitzing, which I, I get to an extent. It's what he's good at, but I question. Uh, whether he can cover, well, George Kittle, frankly, frankly this week, um, that uh, without, with I, if you take the blitzing away, if you're somehow able to scheme that part out of the game and you have a good tight end, I think he's going to expose a lot of problems, and that could be an issue going into the playoffs. What What about, I mean... He- I understand what you're saying, but he's had nine and a half sacks. He's had 80 plus tackles in only 11 games this year. I mean, I know mm-hmm. he had a couple miss key missed tackles last Sunday too, but there's, there's things Jamal play. Adams does very well, but they're the things that I, so he's a good pass rusher, but I would, I would argue that a lot of the sacks are situations that the Seahawks are scheming him the means to succeed. There's a lot of situations where you have Wagner blitzing as well, going straight into the pile so that Adams gets unblocked. Most of his sacks, he's unblocked. So there's something going on scheme-wise that's facilitating that. I would also say that he's also very good against the run. 
stepping eight into the box. Um, but I think as a coverage person, I think uh, I was reading Pro Football Focus or something like that, has him rated as the 63rd best coverage safety in the NFL, which is really like that's not even a starter. So I have questions about how well he can actually cover man up against like a, a top tight end. I wonder, yeah, is he like a hybrid between a safety and a linebacker more than he is actually a safety? Uh, Abraham, I know you. I, I want to hear your thoughts, Abraham. Let, tell me what. Tell me about your opinion on Adams. Is is he correct? Uh, Ian's not right in certain respects, but he's correct, unfortunately, in other respects. Um, the first. Um, the first part of it that I want to uh, disagree with is that it's not a mistake that he's on this team. This was the right thing to do because if you take a look at what we were historically bad versus what we are top five, top 10 defense. I, I don't know what, what, what you want to call it, but I think it's pretty darn good. Um, his impact is indelible. However, where I agree with Ian is his coverage, he's had two interception opportunities, hasn't been able to make both of them in the last couple of weeks. Additionally, key stat um, on plays where he doesn't get home on blitzes, so that's a quarterback hit that counts as a quarterback sack or a pressure. Opposing quarterbacks have a 114 QB rating, and that's puzzling and a little worrisome. Can we blame that on 2020? I mean, there's a lot of shit going on in 2020, Abe. I mean, the guy, the, the guy's <laughs> proven safety. I mean, it's what it's. Uh, well, well, he's, he's not going after the, he's in what, his third he's year? Not going after the quarterback and coughing at at the left tackle. You know, this has nothing to do with 2020. It's not like he's running in and you know magically COVID gives him wings and he just gets <laughs> to the quarterback. It, it could. It's the bid behind football. him. What I'm telling you is him. This is why I'm agreeing with you, Ian. Is him, uh, him vacating that that strong safety position as a blitzer. He opens up positions for tight ends to eat us alive, and all you have to do is take a look at what happened to us against the Giants to see that that is the case. Now, the question is, are you willing to take that risk? I think I am. I think I'm okay with it. What about and, what, a, know, what about this week where they're facing George Kittle, who is back and healthy now? Oh, we, already got the, we already got the NFC West Championship. I don't care. Well, <laughs> winning this game would mean a I don't care uh, about this game next week. Well, I was going to suggest that maybe perhaps he's in the wrong position. He shouldn't be playing safety at all. He seems to be a lot more impactful when he's when he's lining up at the line, when he's rushing the quarterback, or he's getting in the thick of things in the middle in the in the in, in you know in the linebacker position. So why shouldn't he be lining up at the Sam position after we lost? Uh, um. Irvin. Well, yeah, there we go. Bruce Irvin. We lost Bruce Irvin. Why shouldn't he be landing up to replace him? Uh, you know, maybe there's somebody who could do the covering part of his job a lot better back there and focus him on the rushing the quarterback because he loves he loves rushing the quarterback. That's the biggest part his favorite part of the game. And he's really good at it. I mean, remember, I mean, watch the or just getting behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, look at the run play around sweep around the side on the goal line against the Rams where he caught up with uh, the running back and he t- shoestring tackled them before he got to the goal line. It would have been a touchdown. 
but he has but, immense speed off the edge. Why don't we just move him? Stop calling him a strong safety. Move him up and call him a linebacker. Well, I think I think the 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 thing is, I mean, he's got too much range. He's got too much physical ability um, as a just as a as a player to stick him at linebacker. I mean, if it's not very often you work backwards in, in, in that respect. You don't have a linebacker who's good at playing safety, but you have a safety who's good at playing linebacker. And um, and and so I think that's what makes him so dynamic. Now he's not going. I've always been uh, of the opinion that interceptions are icing on the cake if you're if you're back there disrupting the play if you're if you're defensing passes if you are just making enough enough of a mess for for the ball to not be able to get where it's where it's going in the air um you're doing your job as a a defensive back yeah he's dropped a couple picks that i would like to see him make which would have been great um but you know those are incomplete passes and, and interceptions are important but i think those i think they're icing on the cake um i i think you know when it comes to him blitz you know, that that's a specialty that he has. I don't necessarily think that because he has to be, um, you know, it has to be schemed up for him to get there. And he, he does get there typically unblocked. But that's a, but that's kind of commonplace with the safety blitz. Um, I mean, that that's that's why you blitz the safety, because when a safety comes in, you know, chances are the linemen, all of the blocking assignments are going to be uh, committed by the time he's getting down there. And he's going to have a free run at the quarterback or the ball carrier. So it, that, it's kind of par for the course. Um, I think he has a unique ability to navigate um, coming in from the second from the second uh, from the second level and and get to the quarterback, but quickly. And I think, you know, we have to just we we use that to our advantage. Yes, it does vacate the space in the secondary. um, But, you know, that's where you scheme. Um, I I, and in those I look at it like this. We don't blitz him every single play. You know, when we when we send him on a blitz, that's a calculated that's a calculated decision. Um, And he gets home or darn close to it all but every single time. Um, And I don't see that we would I don't think that we are going to blitz ourselves out of a game with Jamal Adams. I know we got George Kittle coming up. Um, I know um, uh, who who, who was it that was beating us up tight end just just the other week. Um, it was Washington. It was, it was uh, I can't Logan Thomas. Name, but it was, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and but I mean, but that that there was only there was one quarter of football where where we just where we kind of lost our way. But for the first three quarters, for three quarters of football, it was it was you know we we were doing you know uh, damn good um, with our with our defensive scheme. So I, I don't I don't see us you know uh, sending Jamal Adams you know blitzing blitzing ourselves out of a game with Jamal Adams. Um, hurts to see when he doesn't get home because we just expect to see it i think now um but i i think he's right where he's supposed to be um and and he is an asset he's he's really all over the place um he's a sure tackler tackler for the most part um and he has what cam chancellor did not have which was rushing passer cam, you know chancellor was 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 really great at in 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 run and um in helping stop the run um he was a force in the secondary um but he wasn't a pass rusher um, you know, well, uh, but we never really know because he, they, the Seahawks didn't blitz in that era. They just rushed four and got there anyway, and that was how they played. So they didn't really need to send safeties on blitzes because they just beat you with talent. But that, and I guess that's the that's the bar I would compare them with is we had uh, and we were admittedly spoiled. We had a probable Hall of Fame strong safety in Cam Chancellor. We paid two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. Camp Chancellor was a fantastic coverage safety, one of the best, one of the best I've seen. So what, like, I guess, did we get a good value for two first-round picks out of that? 
Well, I guess I always go back and say this. I mean, we we must remember as Seahawks fans or otherwise um, that we had and that we, we were all lucky enough to be witness to an an era of Seahawk football that will go down in history that will never be forgotten. It, I mean, we were rival rivaling the 85 bears. I mean, we, this was a defense that is, is, is tops in, in NFL history. And so we, I think we must be careful um, to, you know, to go and compare what we have today with what we had yesterday, because it's always going to pale. It's always going to pale in comparison. Um, you know, as long as we can, can keep uh, uh, um, comparing, you know, Shaq to to Richard, it's going to pale. If we if we compare, you know, uh, Jamal Adams to, to Cam Chancellor, it's going to pale. You know, so um, I, I just try, try to be be very careful with that. Um, you can't compare every single defense to a historically great, great one. You're just going to leave yourself disappointed. Moving on, I, I mean, I totally agree with you, Rob. I mean, Jamal Adams was a hell of a pick, and I, I think two first rounders was we made the right move, and and I don't, I mean, he's had a few missed tackles this year, but I, I, I don't have any issues with him. I'm on his bandwagon, and but we got, we do got to move on. Um, my next question is the Hawk, is the Seahawks offense back to ground and pound with Chris Carson? I mean, what do you guys think? How about you, Matt? Are we back to ground and pound? That's our game. That's so it's always been our game under Pete Carroll, and that's that's our identity. That's that's when Russell gets the freedom to do what he wants to do, which which is where his strengths lie, where he where he can be mobile and 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 be a run threat, and do the run pass option, can do the can do the you know everything. He can you know it opens the playbook to the way that we used to we usually run our offense. And having Carson back and having Hyde to take some some of the load, that uh, just you know, it's 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 Christmas again, you know. <laughs> it really is. It's Christmas time. Uh, it is. So yeah, it, it's it's great. That's 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 the true identity of what the, our offense is. Um, I think you saw a mirage and you saw a a, a throwing up offense out of necessity at the beginning of the season, but it's not really true to who who we are and how we're built as a team. Uh, a two-part question, Matthew, because I don't want to get fired for not asking this. Uh, uh, Russ, apparently, Russell is no longer cooking. He's not microwaving. Heck, avocado for toast seems to be missing. Did the Hawks decide letting Russ cook? Is that a bad idea? Was that a bad idea? I think ultimately, it's it, it's it's the right thing to do. Like I said, we're you know our team is built to be a run offense and and built to be. Um, built to be that that team th- th- with that identity. Um, letting him cook was, you know, the fun thing for a little while, and we saw what might be a potential future offense uh, down the road as he becomes a little bit slower. Because frankly, he's gonna, you know, as he gets older, he's gonna lose a step, and he's not gonna be as mobile and and wild as he is right now. Uh, we might see a future uh, future version that looks a lot like that offense. But uh, for now, I think we stick with what would, with the team and the strengths that we have and the team that we bring and when everyone's healthy, which is good running right down your throat. Fair enough. Does anybody disagree or agree with Matt's two answers? I feel that the team that, and Carol fundamentally believes this, that the team that wins the turnover battle wins the game nine times out of ten, especially if the other stats are even remotely resembling equal. And 
he's a big believer in trying to get the ball on defense and trying to protect it as much as possible on offense. And that usually means ground and pound and not making silly throws that create bad situations. And I think that is the key. That's that's Seahawks football under Pete Carroll in a nutshell to me. Anybody else? Um, I think that the ground and pound again, yeah, like just, you know, to piggyback. Yeah, it is the Seattle, uh, football identity. Um, I really, really enjoyed seeing Russell throwing the ball all over the field, um, uh, in the, you know, the first part of the season. Um, and I really would have liked to see that continue. Um, I, I wouldn't have mind, uh, seeing the offense take on more of a, or somewhat of a, of a, um, a pass to run rather than a run to pass type of, uh, you know, type of approach. Um, not that I, not that I, you know, have any particular problem with, you know, our typical Seahawk football, but it just was, it was different. And when you see the same thing year in and year out, year after year, and it doesn't quite get you where you want to be, um, it, it can get a little frustrating when, you know, you know, that running play is coming, you know, you know, what's coming each time. And when you go three and out, you know, <laughs> enough three and outs, you're going to get upset about seeing the same thing over and over again. Um, uh, so uh, it was great to see Russell. I mean, bro, you know, Russell was the clear choice at MVP because he was just tossing. I mean, you, keep, you couldn't stop it from throwing touchdown passes early in the season. And I really wanted Russell to get the MVP this year. Um, I think if it weren't if it weren't for how bad the defense was, that might have been able to continue. I think we just asked Russell to do just a little too much. Um, you know, scoring 30 points a game uh, is is great. Um, you know, but when you have to do it because the defense is giving up 30 points a game, you know, that, that kind of changes the the dynamic there. Um, so, um, you know, whatever, whatever gets, wins the game, I, I would like to see us, whatever, whatever we go with, not be so, uh, hard headed with our game plan that we are not able to, um, to make the adjustments and make the changes when necessary. Yeah. I'm going to jump in here and, and just say, you know, uh, Pete Carroll also believes in in balance. Like he he's always, regardless of wherever he is, he's always wanted to have balance. He's wanted to be able to run the ball when he needs to, throw the ball when he needs to, and he's always wanted smart quarterbacks. And you know, I, I don't remember who it was, but basically it was it was a quarterback talking about playing in the NFL, and he said basically you you have one job as a, as a quarterback is to figure out where the one on one matchup is and get the ball there against NFL defenses basically get the, get the ball to the one-on-one matchup on time and in the right you know in the right window um, and otherwise you know throw the ball away basically and Russell Wilson is really really good when he can you know read the defense take away you know one half of the field so he can make his decision making tree a lot easier and then put the ball where only basically his receiver can can win it and I mean, you've really seen that the last four games that um, with the Seahawks and Wilson have been able to take care of the football. And I mean, you look at that, you know, that 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 catch, uh, that fantastic catch, probably the best catch of the game by um, by Moore. Right. Um, David Moore went up and got what, like the one catch he had was a 45 yard catch. And, he, you know, threw it a back shoulder um, on the rollout. Um, off of a off of a great move, and you know that that was you know, that was really great to see. But you know, I I would also just say that you know, like 
the Seahawks just couldn't they couldn't keep letting Russell cook because they don't have a third wide receiver that's a big enough threat that's dangerous enough to to allow the offense to move along and especially with the running backs out you know you couldn't do the west coast thing where you know you throw the ball all over the field but you're throwing to the tight ends and the wide receiver or the tight ends and the running backs you know on those swing routes and the you know the the, the routes that the running backs are really good at um you know like you know an 80s style san francisco um because all of our running backs were hurt and our tight ends just you know the the, the guys uh, you know, Disley and Hollister are are okay, but they're not they're not nearly as good as Greg Olson is as a receiver. So I mean, I I just don't think that there was enough firepower to to let Russell keep on trying to throw you know uh, you know for 300, 400 yards a game and score 30 points a game. So this is a um, I think it was a bad idea to try to keep doing it, and I think that switching our offensive focus was a good strategic decision. Uh, real quick, Rich, I mean, you, you say they don't have a third receiver, but you comment about David Moore. I mean, I, I think he's been a decent third receiver all season. I mean, for me, wrong. Yeah, no. What I'm thinking is, you know, if you want to be a, a team that scores 30 points a game, you need to be like the 1998, um, you know, Vikings that had Randy Moss as the third receiver. Right? You, you yeah. need to be like the, the, the Rams in 1999 when they had, um, you know, the greatest show on turf when Ricky Prohl, who'd been, you know, a thousand yard receiver in the NFL was their fourth receiver, right? That's what you need is that, and, and they had Marshall Falk as the running back, you know, like the, the greatest, you know, probably, uh, receiving running back in NFL history. So, um, that's what you have to have to have a team that scores 30 points a game over the course of a season. Seahawks just don't have enough explosive offensive firepower, um, to do that, they have the trigger man in Russ Wilson, but they, they did, and they have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They just need two more guys that are just as good as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and running backs that are as you know good at receiving the ball as uh, you know like a Marshall a Marshall Falk or, um, uh, yeah. So that's that's my thought. Ian, do you care to counter real quick? Uh, yeah, I I don't really uh, disagree with what he's saying here. I just want to say that I remember uh, looking back at the first Rams game. It was a perfect example of this. Uh, the offense has to be able to adjust to what the defense is giving. Essentially, starting with that Ram game, because they always scheme us well, They started everyone started playing us, two deep safeties, every play, run, pass, whatever, down. And I've, it's been a thing. It's been nonstop ever since because it worked so well in that game. Wilson went 22 of 37 with no touchdowns and two picks in that game. He had his worst game of the year. And ever since then, that's what they've been running. That's what the Rams were doing this week, too. So you have to, when that happens, you have to take what the defense gives you. And that usually means if, that's the, if they're taking away the deep ball, you have to throw underneath and you have to ground and pound. And that's kind of what they've done. So it's it's been an adjustment that I think has been necessary. Okay. Uh, next question for uh, this is for you, Ian. Uh, offensive line gave up five sacks last week. I mean, after they've been doing a pretty damn good job the last couple weeks without Russell getting sacked, is it the offensive lineman's fault? Is it injuries? Is Wilson sitting in the pocket too long? What are your thoughts? Darren Donald. <laughs> Dude to God. <laughs> yeah. That's deep into the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Uh, fair enough. How about you, Rob English? Yeah, um, the Aaron Donald factor, the, the the Los Angeles Rams factor plays in there heavily. Um, I mean, it, it would have been twilight zone if we go at, come out of this game with no sacks or even less than, you know, two sacks. Um, you know, the, the previous couple of games where he didn't get sacked, I think that is th- those are obviously, um, you know, those those are anomalies. Um, great to see him, you know, I mean, because we give up sacks to any and everybody typically. Um, you know, so it, it was it was good to see Russell, you know, with a, a more or less a, a you know a clean jersey. Um, but uh, I'm not too worried uh, because I mean Seattle Seattle manages to win games with you know with little well I shouldn't say with little or no concern because we take every game down to the wire. But yeah. we win <laughs> games often, and Russell takes multiple sacks in a game. It's just part of the it's just part of the it's part of the territory now. Um, so I wasn't terribly bothered by the sacks. It was a little frustrating seeing Russell kind of run into a couple of them. But um, I think that's just, you know, a couple the ones that I when I rewatch the game, I see that, you know, he, he's, you know, Russell still remember the guy is, is short. We, 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 we get rid of that, that whole Russell too short to play football thing, you know, because we don't want to hear that. But the reality of it is he is short. And when he ducks down to to get around or get get through somebody and then looks up and there's a there's a gigantic man in his face i mean you kind of gotta give him some slack you know so um you know a couple a couple of times there was somebody that he couldn't see when he when he picked his head up to run he came around from behind another person's body and he was just he was there he was just stuck um but it wasn't it wasn't a total just disaster um by the offensive line i don't think um a couple of them were on them but uh, nothing to be too concerned about i don't think Okay. Okay. Um, kicker Jason Myers is now 22 for 22 on the year and 15 for 15 on kicks 40 plus on 40 plus yards after two first half field goals extended his streak to 33 in a row. Calling out Abraham Deweese, is he further proof that the Jets are idiots or is it because you have this this crush on him? I mean, every week you talk about him. Abraham, I want to hear your thoughts. Both are true. <laughs> All right, explain, please. Uh, <laughs> I think that was just a long any, yes. Yes, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, the Jets giving us Jason Myers. Uh, would would they cut him because they didn't want to spend the extra shekels to keep him on this team? Uh, oh, twenty for like you said, twenty two for twenty two on the year. He's hasn't missed a kick in over a year and a half. Well. Thank you, Jets. I'm sorry you don't want him. I'm sorry you don't want, you know, you don't want Jamal Adams. They're dumb. They're morons over there on the other coast. They don't know what they're doing, and this is the reason. They don't even know how to, like, lose and get Trevor Lawrence next year. This is a pathetic team. I'm glad that we can fleece them for every good player they got. (laughs) <laughs> I you backed it up very anybody care to counter against Abraham? Uh my question I have a question. Why don't the three missed extra points count? Abraham? Uh they should have gone for two on those. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair okay. Yeah. Because they're only worth one point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because they're they're only worth one point, and so far we haven't lost a game by one point because of it. So far, yeah. very good point. I mean, Not it's the wood. it's the equivalent of missing one field goal over the course of the season, which, by the way, I will take. Um, 
Oh yeah, no. In today's game, day and game, yeah, today's game, it's uh, you know, it's rare to find a, a kicker of this accuracy. It really is. I, I mean, I you would, see some teams that are on like their third kicker. Is it the Rams are starting their third kicker of the year mm-hmm. against us? I mean, San Diego's gone through at least two or three this year. Uh, you know, they're Dallas has gone through two, I think. You know, there's remember there's, last year. It's insane. <laughs> and all the uh, yeah so you know the overturn the you know it's 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 nice that we have a lockdown kicker yeah i was gonna say that also just since the nfl moved the extra point back um i wouldn't say it's been a boondoggle but like extra points get missed it's just one of the things that happens and for whatever reason they seem to get missed at a higher rate than the equivalent field goal kick right and I, I mean, I have no idea why that is, but it does seem to be a thing. It's it's uncanny. Like, yeah, like with Jason Myers, I mean, like it, it, it just it puts just a, for me, it puts a little bit of a tarnish on how good he is. It's like because I mean, after a great play, I mean, a, a deep ball to DK Metcalf for 50 something yards, beautiful toss by Russell Wilson, one of his one of his moon balls. Seattle's the greatest team in the world. And then whomp, 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 the kicker just. He just pushes the extra point wide right. Like, come on, but 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 he can't miss from fifty plus. Like it, it's it's uh it's just really weird, you know. But hey, like I said, we'll 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 take it. I'll, I'll count on him to kick the game winning field goal in February. No, I just think that? I Go just ahead. think we should stop jinxing it and stop talking about it because if we do, he's gonna like miss one. Day. Yeah, we don't we don't game. need a whatever that guy the um the Minnesota kicker. Jinx yes. uh, in '98 was it well, so Eddie Murray? To talk about it. So now I'm gonna yeah. blame you if it happens. Okay, you can I, do that. I, I would blame Abraham, blame Abraham for that, in my opinion. But well, it's usually the more, the long snapper's Eddie, fault, anyway. Eddie Murray was a DH for Baltimore. You're thinking of uh, <laughs> you're thinking of Mort, was it Mortensen? Norm Johnson Anderson. was the was the Buffalo kicker in their no, talk, Super no, Bowl talking about, uh, No, Morton, we're talking about um, Anderson. Gordon Anderson. Anderson, that's it. He's in right? the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he he kicked for the he Saints. Was a really good, yeah. He was a really good kicker. I have to I have to stand up for the Harvard man on our roster and tell Rich that he's wrong. It's not going to be Tyler Ott's problem. All right, it's not going to be his fault. Oh, I was just saying in general, like all kickers blame the no, long snapper for not the gonna bad snap. Not going to happen to Tyler Ott. Not going to happen to Tyler Ott. I got all pro too. Yeah, he's a Pro Bowler. Yep. Um, moving on this question, Abraham is not allowed to answer because he already said it Gary earlier. Gary Anderson. That's who it was. Gary Anderson. Okay. Uh, Gary Anderson. Hall of Famer, by the way, by the way. He is too. Yep. 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 Absolutely deserves it too. Yeah. One of the highest uh, all-time scorers in NFL history. Um, this Sunday we play the 49ers. Abraham thinks we should play it safe. Personally, we still have a chance to get the number one seed. I know New Orleans, I believe in Green Bay both have to lose, but. Why not give it a shot? I mean, I, I, obviously, we don't want Wilson to get hurt and, you know, another key players, but that's my opinion. I think we should go for it. And I mean, what are you, what are you guys' thoughts, starting with you, Matt? Um, I would I would probably put my starters in for the first half and then yank them. Uh, I want to keep I want to keep uh, Carson and Hyde and, and and everyone on that offensive line tuned up and healthy and ready to go and in in the zone. But I also don't want to see them get hurt. And both my running backs have been hurt and missed extended parts of time this year. And they're very important to our offense to, to keep our offense running at the level that, it, that we need it at. 
So I would I would probably do the first half and then bench everyone. And I don't care about the result of the game. The the, the likelihood of us getting the first seed is something like five percent. It's not going to happen. Ian, what about you? I say go for it. I think momentum matters, and I think even if you don't get the one seed, there's still a very good chance of moving up to the two seed, which would mean possibly facing the Rams again without Goff or something along those lines, which I like a lot in the first round. It would also mean a second home game, which I think also matters. Not having to go to Lambeau or the Superdome in the second round of the playoffs I think would be a good thing. Absolutely. What about you, Rich? I say go for it. As uh, Herm Edwards always say, you play to win the game. And it would be fine to rest our starters if we knew where we were. If we were locked into this number two seed, we were locked into number three, we had number one all locked up like in uh, 2013. We, you know, took the foot off the gas in that last game. Like, it's, I get it in that situation. For, I mean, it's an outside shot to get the number one seed, but especially in this playoff format, which I do not like because I'm an old man and get off my lawn. But <laughs> in this format, the, the buys, buys matter. Teams generally don't lose coming out of buys. I mean, it's a huge advantage to have that week off and rest, especially in, in a COVID-19 world where, like, all sorts of craziness is going on and like it just just having a, a an ability to have a week off mentally uh as much as physically i think would be a huge advantage um as well as you know being on the 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 weaker side of the bracket so um yeah go for it rob english what about you uh definitely go for it um i mean i i would say if you know um, I mean, I guess this is kind of an obvious statement. If, if one of the um, if one of the games that that were you know dependent on uh, was played early in in the day, maybe we see what happens there, and then you decide what you want to do. Because um, we need both both Green Bay and um, New Orleans to lose to have a shot at that one. Um, I don't know that. Uh, 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 does the two and the three, you know, swapping the two for the three, really make a difference? Maybe, maybe not. Um, the one is everything still, you know, even with no fans in the stadiums and all that kind of stuff, playing at home is, is, is always something. Um, and honestly, I think that, I mean, both Chicago and, um, who's the other, who's the other team? Uh, Chicago was playing green Bay and new Orleans is playing Carolina. Um, you know, Chicago was playing for their playoff lives and Carolina played some pretty good football last week. And so they might be, might be poised to go out there and play some play spoilers. So, um, I, I, I don't think you, you rest on your laurels here. I, I think you go out there and play some football and maybe we'll be surprised, um, uh, on, in a, on good morning. Um, what's the show on ESPN? Good morning NFL or good morning something. Uh, Nate Burleson, ex Seahawk. Uh, he actually predicted that new Orleans and green Bay would both lose on Sunday and Seattle will take the number one seed. So wow. uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, um, and, uh, <laughs> agree with Mr. Nate Burleson and, uh, say, yeah, Seattle's going to go ahead and play this game to win it. Um, and, uh, no one, we're, we're going to come out healthy and, um, green Bay might, you know, uh, might falter and new Orleans might, uh, you know, might falter and, uh, we'll take his number one seed. I like that. Um, you brought up about the times that they're playing on Sunday. Do you think that the NFL is brilliant for putting Seattle, Green Bay, and New Orleans at the one o'clock time slot? I mean, personally, I think that was a great move. But what do you think, Rob? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's good. I mean, because that way ne- neither of the three teams who you know who this is all the you know it's all riding on for them. Uh, there's no reason for them to not play football, right? There's there's, there's the, everybody has a reason to play. You know, if 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 Green Bay played at at, at the in the early slot or New Orleans played at the early slot, you know, then you know we would really know if either one of them won. There's no reason for us to really you know push too hard because we're not moving. So. Um, you know, I, I think it's really good that everybody goes out there and plays football or at least has a reason to go out there and play football. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a, a genius idea. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally but, agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, no shenanigans like, uh, has happened in, uh, you know, uh, other tournaments play, you know, especially like uh, famously in the, the, the world cup. Um, but also, I mean, think about how many times you're, you're annoyed, uh, in the NBA that, you know, you want to watch their players and, and, and you know, their resting players, right? I mean, it's just it's just kind of lame. It's not why we – it's not what we pay for as fans. We we want to see the players play. All right. Anybody else care to counter on that real quick? Uh, yeah, I agree. And it's to the soccer point because soccer leagues do this all the time, and I think it's a great thing is that, yeah, uh, people – like it's not just the World Cup, but every league – most leagues do this too on the last day of the league. They all play at the same time, so no one knows what they need. And I think it's a great thing. Absolutely. Hey, Matthew Page, has the NFL vindicated itself adding a seventh playoff team this year? Did they vindicate themselves adding an extra – well, I, I don't understand the question. Well, do they, does it does? I mean, I'm just going by our pre-show question, but adding having seven playoff teams in each conference with the first, you know, the best team in the conference getting a first round bye was that a good thing done by the NFL? No, I'm with Rich. Get off my lawn. Ah, uh, you old farts. I, I just <laughs> I, I don't like the new format. Um, I, I prefer I prefer the uh, the old one. I prefer having uh, a little bit more of home teams and a little more exclusive draw on the playoffs. I don't like it when league when like three quarters of the league goes to the playoff. It just it kind of lessens the the caliber of the playoff and it makes the the, uh, the regular NBA. season mean less. And I'm the eldest fart here, and I disagree with you. I I, I like the format. Um, who said that was ever you, Rob? Yeah, man. It, it's oh, yeah. I mean it, it's it's because okay what ends up happening with uh you know and 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 frankly I was never one of the supporters of the people who belly ached and complained about you know oh my team won 10 11 games but didn't didn't get to go to the playoffs because some you know some eight win team you know gets in because they're a division winner you know uh, people were very upset with the Seattle Seahawks when they when they uh, went seven and nine. And, uh, you know, it made the playoffs and then we went, went ahead and, uh, you know, ended up beating the Saints in that game. But, um, you know, people don't like that, you know, but it's like, hey, listen, you, the, the first your first job is to win your division. That's how you guarantee your spot in the playoffs, win your division. But at, at the same time, you know, having having those teams when you win 11 games in a season, I do get like, OK, there's there's got to be some reward for going 11 and five. I mean, it's, football is a hard fought game. You only play one game a week. You only play 16 games a season. If you win 11 out of 16 games, there's gotta be some sort of, of, of there's gotta be some sort of, of cherry at the end of that. So um, I am all for um, adding the seventh team. And I think it makes it a little, a little more special 
for that number one seed to be the only king on top of the mountain sitting down looking amongst the peons who who are fighting to get an opportunity to go up against them i, I think i think that that makes it a, a little more interesting um you know so yeah i'm i'm all about it um i think it's great uh we get we get you know more football i mean it's 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 all positive for me i think i think it's wonderful absolutely any quick counters out there no. Well, I think Robert kind of tied things into the next point, which is should sub 500 teams that win the division make the playoffs? And I am agreeing that the playoffs should just stay as they are. Get off my lawn, all that. Um, 500 sub 500 teams make noise all the time. Like I said, the Seahawks he made that great point. That was the beast quake year. The Seahawks went seven and nine. Right. Um, another example is the Giants went seven and nine, made the playoffs, won the Super Bowl. So. I think that should stay around. I don't necessarily think that we need a seventh playoff team, though. There's enough games as it is. I don't like diluting the league any more than it is. Okay. Okay. Um, rounding it out, it wouldn't be a podcast without poking at Matthew Page. So here we go. Matthew Page will never admit to it, but NFL did a, did a pretty good job of getting their games in this season, especially compared to the mess that the NCAA created. You guys agree or disagree? Why? Why wouldn't I ever admit that? Uh, you tell me, Matthew Page. No, I, 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 yeah, they did. They they actually got away. You know, everything game in, all the games that mattered in. It looked like it was going to be a train wreck there in the middle of the season there for a while when everyone game was getting delayed and delayed and delayed and and pushed back till well, we had a game on Tuesday one time I think and it was it was a little nuts but they somehow got all the games played. Uh, they got it all coordinated. They didn't, uh, you know, muck it up too much. And, uh, you know, there were only a select few players um, that decided to, to violate the uh, the bubble and ghost in a strip club. Uh, but they were dealt with harshly and appropriately. Uh, and, uh, no, I, I, I don't disagree with it. I think they did a great job compared to the NCAA where they really shouldn't have even had games at all because they're they're amateurs by definition they can't be called professionals because they're technically not paid even though they are paid but that's a whole other can of worms uh they're they're amateurs and their kid their kids were putting at risk and and they shouldn't have been they shouldn't have had games but the nfl the professionals they handled it like professionals they were able to get all the games in i was actually surprised and kudos to the league for pulling it off how how did they pull it off i mean how they, they did a great i agree with you with your total response but they did a better job than Major League Baseball, the NBA. I don't follow hockey. I mean, I need to start to, obviously, but with a <laughs> crack with a Kraken coming here. But I mean, how, why is the NFL better than? Why do they do a better job than the other leagues, in your opinion? Well, I don't know why necessarily they they did uh, a better job. I mean, you know, with their professionals, they're able to keep them all in within a bubble. They Moved them from city to city as a bubble. They they moved as one. They stayed together as one. Uh, you know, they, they the stadiums are empty, so there's less contamination there. There were a few people who, you know, still came down sick, but they were able to, to identify them quickly and get them isolated. Um, I think it was just, it was being vigilant. It was being constant vigilance and, and, and being aware of the risks and, and taking every step possible. I think they did a good job. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going to jump in here as well. Um, I have to uh, I have to, to to come out and say I was wrong as well. I was on this podcast in the spring um, 
and we all were talking about what was going on with Major League Baseball. Um, it was in probably late March or early April, and uh, I was I was the the biggest doom and gloom kind of person who said we would not have an NFL season. I said that I said we would not make it through an NFL season. And here we are on the cusp of the of the playoffs, and it looks like it's all systems go. So I was wrong. A little bit of mea culpa here. Um, Bad job by you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but but I will say as as far as why, I, I think another thing is that um, you have to give credit to the first two professional sports leagues in the United States that actually got it right, which were the NWSL and Major League Soccer who went into actual bubbles at one location and held uh, kind of coming back tournaments in the summer and really were able to show all of the other leagues how to do it um, and really had then had minimal uh, outbreaks uh, th- throughout the year. Obviously, there were there, there were outbreaks here and there. Most of those due to professional soccer players, for some reason, still playing international um, national team soccer um, in places where the, the coronavirus was raging, like South America, for example, and Europe, um, believe it or not. Um, so I think that that's part of it. The other reason is I think the NFL went last. They were the last league, professional league to start up. Um, and so they got to learn all the lessons from all the other leagues of what not to do and what worked. So uh, I think that, that that's too. Um, and as much as we gripe about Roger Goodell, uh, quite frankly, for the most part, uh, he and his his executive team are pretty good at actually running things. Okay, okay. Uh, um, one last quick question. It's not in our pre-show questions, but me uh, being let, a wa- me, me being a wa- one, one thing oh. about the corona about about the whole thing, just real fast, is that okay. I I, I want to just sh- give my appreciation to COVID-19 for giving me the joy of being able to watch football on every single day of the week this season. It's never <laughs> happened before in NFL history. Uh, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we had football at one point in the season. And I, for one, nuts. appreciated it. If they would have left, uh, you know, you know, just, you know, uh, all the deaths and, 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 and destruction, I could have, I could have lived without that. But <laughs> the football was great. Well said, Rob. Well said. Uh, my last question real quick for about NFL football before we move on. Um, me being a, obviously Wazoo Coog, but Gardner Minshew, obviously he will not be in Jacksonville next year with, uh, since Trevor Lawrence will be going to Jacksonville. But Minshew hasn't done that bad for, for Jacksonville. I mean, it's not going to hurt my feelings, but I, I personally think he's a future, you know, Fitz Magic. Does he have a chance being a backup in the NFL moving forward? Anybody care to counter on say their opinion on that? I'll I'll jump in. Uh, yeah, I, no, I I I think he's a perfectly adequate backup to have in the back, in the league. I think I I wouldn't mind having him uh, on my roster uh, as a backup, a clipboard holder. Um, you know, a Geno Smith, a clipboard Jesus. Uh, you know, equivalent. Um, you know, yeah, you could you could certainly do a hell of a lot worse. At, at, at backup quarterback than than Minchu. I mean, he he has a character. He's he's got a presence in the locker room, leadership. Uh, the guys respect him. 
Uh, he can he can light a spark into that offense. Maybe you find another you know way for him to contribute uh, you know uh, into the offense. Uh, uh, not quite a Taysom Smith, but you know somehow. Um, but you know he's he's uh, he's a good good guy. He's got a good head on his shoulders. I I can see him being a, a good reliable second uh, second quarterback somewhere. I will accept that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I I agree for the most part. I think. Yeah, he'll. I, I like the Fitzpatrick analogy. I think he'll find a home somewhere, and he'll come in as a starter and do really well. Have another really good season for somebody again, just like Fitzpatrick has done on like three or four teams now. So, um, I think he has a real future in the league. Uh, fair enough. I, you know, I agree with that as well. I, I, I'm sorry. I was just brought to attention. I did forget one major topic. Damon Snacks Harrison was weighed by the Seahawks. We all thought. Supposedly he's retiring, and now he's headed to Green Bay. What are your thoughts real quick? Uh, Start with you, Rob English. Well, I, for one, was very disappointed to um, hear about how the whole thing went down. I mean, I'm sure there's probably details that, uh, you know, we as the public maybe don't know. But uh, from what I understand, that he was just all up in his feelings about being in a healthy scratch because of – uh, Monet was back on the ro- back on the active was brought back to the active roster, um, and so he didn't get to go against the Rams. And simply because of that one, um, you know, personnel move, um, he just decided he was going to wash his hands with the whole thing. And I, and I, I can appreciate the fact that he, um, you know, in his, you know, in his tweets and his, his public response, um, he didn't he didn't you know bash the uh, the organization. Um, but you would certainly tell that he was, you know, kind of beside himself about the, about the situation. Um, I mean, I just say, hey, man, you, 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 it's not it's I mean, you were already moved from one team to this team, you know, so it's not it shouldn't be too surprising to learn that you aren't the best player for the job at any given moment. And he, he was he, he was to say he wasn't going to be activated the following week or at some point during the playoffs. I mean, just to just to kind of pout his, you know, take his ball and go home. Basically, I was disappointed in that. Um, and now he's a Green Bay Packer. So uh, hopefully we will um, see him in the playoffs and uh, and beat him. And just so he can, you know, chew on that. Or hopefully we don't see him in the playoffs because the Green Bay looks really good. Yeah, and you own ownership in them too, so you're biased, Matthew Page. I am you... biased. It would put me in a real moral quandary. Which which team to watch root for? Um, <laughs> um, before we move on to our next topic, I want uh, Rob English. What is your prediction for Sunday against the 49ers? And can we get a you know a shout out from you to whoever you want to give a shout out to, and make sure you plug your podcast. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yes, uh, please make sure you listen to uh, my podcast, uh, Short Yardage with the SoCal Seahawk, Robert English. Um, I actually will be uploading tonight as soon as I get myself edited. I think I've actually already edited. I just got to get it up there. Um, uh, Podbean, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and uh, catch the links on Seattle Sports Union. Um, My um, prediction is uh, it'll be a game early. Um, George Kittle will get a couple passes in the middle of the field. Um, we'll, we'll all gripe and complain about it, but Seattle ends up winning this game. Um, uh, low scoring game, relatively speaking, but we'll win it running away. I say it's like, uh, 27, uh, 13, uh, final score. 
And will your wife be upset with that prediction? Uh, she well, you know, so she, she you know, I have to say, you know, you got to be careful. Be careful who you decide you're going to spend your, the rest of your life with. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, when I when I when I met her, you know, she was a 49er fan. And we really had a connection on football because I thought she was a real fan, a real deep football 49er fan. I knew she didn't know too much about the game, but I thought she was true about it. And then I learned over the years that she doesn't really care too much. Um, and when the Niners aren't winning, she has even less care. She's one of those kind of fans. She's a poor Niner faithful. Um, so, and so, so a real 49er fan. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. 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 So, uh, she won't, she won't be too upset when Seattle wins this game on Sunday, but I tell you what, if the Niners actually manage to beat Seattle, oh, she'll give it to me. She <laughs> will give it to me. So, um, it, it's, it, it's quite frustrating. Um, but uh, as for my shout out, though, uh, I would like to give my shout out this week to one Mr. Ryan Fitzmagic himself um, for the game that he played last week. And that throw he made with uh, the defender's hand all up in his face mask oh. with his head turned sideways. And he tossed that ball up right to the breadbasket of that receiver. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And Miami walked away with that win. That was I, I'm like, dude, the guy is magic. The guy simply is that. Um, and so, and I, I, I was, I was raving about that, that all, all, all week since, or since, since that game. So my shout out goes to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well said. Happy, happy New Year, Robbie English. Thank you for your input. Uh, happy New Year, guys. Have a good night. See you, Rob. Later. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Thanks, Robert. Go Hawks. Thanks, Rob. All right, guys. All right, guys, moving on. We're going to talk some MLS soccer. Um, I'm going to start out with Rich or Ian, whoever wants to answer first. But Sounders, Brian Schmetzer's biggest strength as a coach is he doesn't overcomplicate things. Does he get to come back, or is he not sexy enough per Abraham DeWeese to command the amount of money he will want? Either of you want to go first? I think there's no doubt Schmetzer's coming back. I mean, two stars. He's been to four out of five MLS Cup finals now. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous at this point. Like, the, the, that team, I still think, has a couple good years left in it with uh, Rui Diaz and uh, and um, Ladero. But um, as long as, certainly as long as that team's together, I think Schmetzer will be there too. I don't see any reason why he won't get extended. Rich? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the smart money, I think the, you know, the, the percentages are, you know, are high. So let's say 75% that he gets the deal done. Really one of the main hangups, um, you know, per the great reporting um, of Matt Pence over at The Athletic, is that uh, kind of reading between the lines is that Schmetzer has wanted m- money commensurate to his achievements, but he's also wanted money for his staff. For his assistants, um, you have to understand that, you know, he was, you know, a working class guy who uh, pl- got to play pro- some professional soccer and was poor for a long time doing it. Um, I mean, he roofed houses and he ran a, his own little, you know, small uh, contracting business while co- coaching soccer on the side to kind of keep the tr- dream alive and has kind of through hook and crook and a little bit of luck 
now is a head coach of a you know a professional soccer team in you know the top division here in the U.S. But for a long time, you know, even when he was coaching the Sounders and the the other Seattle teams in the A League, he still worked his other jobs in the off season to make sure he could provide for his family. So uh, major league soccer assistant coaches are still very underpaid uh, compared to the value that they actually bring these organizations and what they could fetch if they were elsewhere in the world. And so um, I think that he is doing all the good things you'd want someone to do to, to uh, advocate for their, um, you know, their, their inferiors, you know, the, the, the people that work for them, but it could be a hang up. Um, Garth Lagerway, I think is the best GM in major league soccer, but he's also, uh, knows how to pinch a penny when he needs to. And uh, this really could be the hang up is the assistant coaches pay. I, I feel like since coaches don't count against the salary cap, I feel that crying financial hardship on the part of the Sounders is laughable. Uh, they are, they are the Yankees of MLS, and they can afford whatever they need to pay to get this done. And if they don't, then it's bad on them, in my opinion. Rich, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. With, I mean, I totally agree with that. I, I absolutely agree with it. He, here's the other thing is that, I mean, the Sounders have the wherewithal to go worldwide and find a coach who can have the impact like – uh, Tata Martino did down in Atlanta a couple of years ago when he came in and really invigorated a uh, aspiring expansion team to be, you know, you know, make a big splash and make a name. And he gave them instant credibility. And the Sounders have, have the capabilities monetarily as well as, I think, brand name wise to go and do that. Um, the question is, do they want to rock the boat? Because really... Um, Garth Lagerway was won over by Brian Schmetzer in the 2016 season. Uh, not many people remember this, but of course, Ziggy Schmidt got fired then. Schmetzer took over on an interim basis, and the, the word on the street was that the Sounders were going to do a full coach search at the end of that season, uh, regardless of what the outcomes wa- was. What actually happened before MLS Cup was 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 played, um, after the um, Sounders won the, the uh, conference title, um, Loggerway announced um, during the the Sounders annual business meeting that he had he had signed Schmetzer to a permanent deal, that he was his guy. So uh, there's obviously some friction there because uh, they both have you know differing priorities. But yeah, I mean this I, I think that this gets done. Um, but it would be a it would be a an earth shattering thing for the Sounders to lose Schmetzer in an uh, acrimonious way. It, it would not be a nurse-shattering moment at all, would it? I mean, if you take a look at the Sounders, and you are correct, Richard A. Michelson um, from Ingram High School. Wow. You would... What? Can I have a recording of that? Okay, that is your name, and that's where you went to school. I know. Anyway, um, <laughs> you are correct in the respect that the Sounders got the cash. They got the money. They are flush with the Greenbacks, the, what, probably third or fourth most valuable franchise in the MLS, right? Mm-hmm. they got to be in the top five. Um, yeah. You know, the the team that's that's raking in, raking in the uh, jersey cash, they're raking in the, the network money. But if you operate at 
this, you know, at this, at this inflated income value, don't you start wondering if you can do better than log away? Don't you start wondering, eh, okay, Garth Loggeray is slightly better than Siggy Schmidt, but Siggy Schmidt was a senile old man when he came to this team. And no longer, I'm sorry, that's not nice of me to say. He was, he no longer connected to the young folk of today. Don't you look at like there's an opportunity for a better coach if you just spend the cash? Why would I pay $2 million a year for, you know, for Schmetzer when I could get somebody arguably better okay. at that same price point? Abe, they they went to the final this year. They won the title last year. Like what more yeah. would you want in results from a higher price coach? wins they okay so they they lost the mls cup final that's one match that could have gone either way they and i admit they were flat in that game yeah but they play their they play their asses off for schmetzer so what's the problem i don't really see in general they play their asses off for schmetzer they've made some second half runs and some playoff runs that i've just blown my mind honestly Okay. Uh, I mean, Legerway's been a fantastic GM. He found Rui Diaz out of nowhere. Like that guy. You're not going to. You should not theoretically get ever too comfortable winning. (laughs) It's a ridiculous thing for fans to to get comfortable with winning. That that, that's a strange freaking thought. But what if I can go get for baseball fans out there? What if I can get Mike Trout? And all I got to do is give up a Jared Kelenic. Okay, so stop. Yeah, think just, about just, it. No, no, Abe, yeah, you're, you're wrong. It, don't you? Stop. Sit down in your you wrongness and 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 you don't have four hundred million dollars. No, no. So look, I'm talking about. I'm foreign, talking about foreign coaches don't do well in this league. First of all, you don't mm-hmm. have anyone that you've queued up. Okay, there there have been there there is a uh, a hugely long list of coaches that have been brought in from overseas to coach in major league soccer that then get fired because they just can't deal with the weirdness of major league soccer. So first of all, you need someone who can deal with the weirdness of major league soccer. Things like playing during international breaks and yeah. And having and not being able to just assign the players that you want because you have a salary cap and the weird right roster allocation rules that get changed every single year or every half year. Um, Should they just bring Sir Alex out of retirement? I mean, it's, I it's mean, kind of ridiculous. Sir Alex, sure. would, if no. Sir Alex came in for a million dollars and freaking and freaking Schmetzer wants three million a year, don't you think about it? No. No, you he doesn't don't think know. about it. No, you don't. It's, it's like... Uh, oh my God, I don't know what it, to say here. It's not the same sport. It's it's just not. It's like saying, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to bring in this guy that's been great in r- the Russian basketball league and he's going to be my NBA head coach." It's not the same sport. It's it's a different beast. Coaching in Major League Soccer, okay, first of all, soccer is the most grueling sport over the course of a season on a, a person's body. Just because of the amount of running that they oh, no have question. to do. Okay. S- second of all, the United States 
is like three times larger than the next biggest domestic league as far as travel goes, and that's Russia. Oh Russia, my gosh. You're, 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 you're straight from, okay, we get it. No, we get it, no. man. Okay. I'm just trying to so, ask, like, you can't you, bring you in someone who a road and get okay. or whatever he wants. A, Abe, the longest road trip in England, the longest, is 400 miles. Yeah. I'm surprised it's that much. Okay, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue with any of this. So it's a totally different. You, like, are you just going to open up the pocketbook and not think about anybody else? No, I, I have no problem with thinking about someone else, but unless you are sure, okay, unless you have done your due diligence, and, and Logger Way is all about due diligence, so is Adrian Hanauer, the, the majority owner of, of, the, of the Sounders, okay? They are all about process. They're all about due diligence, and there are no – there's no evidence whatsoever that they've done any due, sort of due diligence, and if they don't get this deal done with Schmetzer – they are so behind the eight ball on this um, because preseason starts in like four weeks. Yeah. So why has this not been done already? Where's the contract extension? I don't this know. It should have been done. This, I would. I, I not be, be one month before the freaking spring training. And I, like, I'm going to ask okay, a question. Let me know. Are there any Lou Pinellas out there in MLS that they could sign? I mean, anybody oh, lots. I mean, there's can you, give me, can you guys well, give MLS, me one name? Worldwide, there's lots. I and also, but honestly, if they're going to do something, they should have done it already because January transfers window opens in what a week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a problem. And then, and here's the other thing is that you know you you, you have in our, in our questions. I'm going to jump ahead. You know, someone like Patrick Vieira, who's already been hugely successful in Major League Soccer, um, and, and is looking to possibly come back. You don't have any ties to him. You don't have a relationship with him. Um, you don't have a relationship with the guy that's going to go be the LA Galaxy head coach, uh, Greg Vanny, who was Toronto's head coach uh, for the last six years, right? So, like, while there are other people that theoretically could come in, you don't have – you haven't laid the groundwork. You haven't built the scouting network. You're not going to sign these people. Um, so it's and it's unrealistic to expect um, basically any any foreign coach to really come in and have success. If you look at all the top coaches in Major League uh, Soccer history, they all cut their teeth in Major League Soccer. Also, like Abe, Abe, could you really see Jose Mourinho or something coming into Seattle and actually succeeding? Uh, I could see, yes, actually I could, because I, I think a lot of this is on Gareth Lagerwey. I think the talent supersedes supersedes the uh, uh, the coaching. The coaching is basically making sure that the talent doesn't get their egos out of whack. I think Gareth Lagerwey is super duper special, like at next level for MLS soccer. I think he is the most brilliant GM that there is, and all the other GMs, who are successful basically throw money at the money at a fan and see what they can figure out. Oh, I agree. I think the Rui Diaz signing in particular was probably the biggest steal in the history of MLS. But, um, but that said, I, I think also if you hire a big, a big name foreign coach, they're used to doing all the signings themselves too. They're not used to being 
just a f- on-field manager. They're used to actually like managing the entire franchise. And I don't think that a big name European guy would be down for that to be subservient to a GM. Well, let's go back to what I said though. What if, what, what if Schmetzer asks for an amount that is just stunningly ridiculous? Don't you have to put your foot down on some point and say, no, heck no. We ain't giving you $4 million a year. Well, well, I think four million is suddenly ridiculous, but there is a there is a point where it is. But I don't think four million is. Sure. I don't think four million is either. Else is make, I don't think any coach. That's is fine. 4 million. Nobody else has won two MLS cups. There's no there's no active coach in MLS that has won two MLS cups except for Bruce Arena, who's in New England. Yeah, that's he it. put two stars on on the crest, and there's no reason that he can't put a third. So I, yeah, no, I don't see the problem. True. Caleb Porter, Caleb Porter has two. Oh, that's true. I did forget about Caleb Porter. See, I I blocked him and everything about him out of my memory. Because <laughs> he's a Timber. He's a Timber. That's what it is. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm still not over. Portland is just dead I, to me. Yeah, I'm still in recovery <laughs> from MLS Cup. Okay, so it's so it's Caleb Porter and it's Brian Schmetzer, and. I mean, let's t- let's talk about that. I mean, so you're going to go hire Caleb Porter? A, that's insanity from a business perspective because the fans hate Caleb Porter. Um, yeah, don't hire Caleb Porter. <laughs> no, and come on. The and Schmetzer is better than – You don't think the fans run this? I, I mean, ultimately all this comes – I inflated opinion of themselves. Okay. You don't think the fans – Fans have a significant say in how this franchise is run. I, I would say, very much to the contrary. I'd say, I'd say, especially with COVID, no, they don't matter. Um, fan in-game revenue is something like seventy-five percent of Major League Soccer revenue. So, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't. Continue. I, I think, I think the franchise as a whole listens to the fan base quite a yeah. bit. I think in the practice fans, they do. The fans are all drunks. And that's because, like, their 75% revenue is all from beer. You're a fan, Abe. Is that you classifying that group? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying it's a personal experience. So, Abe, I used to see some ticket members in ECS, and yeah, we spend at least $40 on beer at the stadium every time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That checks out. So, that's what, like, two right. beers? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Maybe half a hot dog. um can we move on you you okay with me moving on all right um you're the host you tell us what to do (laughs) uh rich you sent me a couple questions here i want to i'm going to move on to these um reliable starts to say nico ladero's buddy luis suarez and lionel the goat messi are plotting a swing to the mls big news what are your thoughts I can start if you want. Um, Go ahead. I, I would really like it if the MLS did not turn to aging superstars. I, I would love it if we could operate off of a model where the young guys rule this league, where your uh, Jordan, you know, uh, Sounders, Sounders Jordan is the star of the league, where the other Jordan uh, from Columbus. Jordan Morris. Yeah, Jordan Morris, but the other Jordan in uh, Columbus, what's his name? Oh, Let- a- Aiden Morris? Aiden Morris, yeah. yeah. Um, or I'm sorry, that's what I meant, Morris. The other Morris. Uh, but anyway, I would like it if these become the star of the leagues. I don't really 
appreciate as a American soccer fan. I don't appreciate these old fogies. We won't even come to Seattle because we play on artificial turf and they have clauses in their contracts that say, oh, yeah, we won't play, you know. Seize lot when of time. The temperature, yeah, when, when it's on artificial turf and, like, you know, when, when the rosé is not chilled to a certain temperature. And, you know, eh, screw that. I, I'd, I'd rather just – I'd rather watch good soccer from younger players rather than Zlatan Ibramovich coming in here slagging our entire league and pocketing all the money off of all his, you know, off of his Twitter account. You know, it, it's just, it's gross. I, I don't want Messi. I mean, I'd love to see Messi like, you know, in a friendly or something. I'd love to watch him in the world cup. If we could ever get it. I, I don't want to watch him as an old broken, as a broken down old man. <clears throat> Rich or Ian? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think the MLS has grown to a point where it doesn't need this for the ratings anymore. I think there's a reason the Galaxy didn't actually do anything when they had when they had Zlatan, and I think it. I, there's another rumor about the the French player going to Toronto. I forget his name, but um, um, but anyway, yeah, Vieira going to going to Toronto. I don't think it's necessary. I think Seattle has done it the right way. They got Dempsey when he was what 27, 28. He's still in, in back into his prime. They got Ladero in his prime. They got Rui Diaz in his prime. They get all these. They got all these guys at the height of their game, not at the not at the tail end. And they actually got good productive years out of them as a result. It's. I think it's more about winning championships than just putting butts in seats with big names. Fair enough. How about you, Rich? Um, both of you guys are old men who always say, get off my lawn and you're both wrong. Okay. Look, I have always wondered, I've always wondered what it was like to, you know, to watch Pele or to watch Maradona and to be in the stadium when they were playing. Um, you know, I, I remember getting to go to a couple of Sonics games, watching Michael Jordan, um, and and you know I got to see a young LeBron James in person and just and and you know a Kobe in his prime like being able to see these these players in person is is something truly special and I do not I agree with you guys in principle I do not want Major League Soccer to be dependent okay on bringing superstars from Europe to MLS okay. I agree with you. The future is developing, especially Americans and and other regional stars from, say, the Caribbean, Mexico, et cetera, um, South America to come here and really hone their game and then move on um, and to to not be a final destination. With that being said, um, first off, both of these players say they want to come to Major League Soccer. They've they've said it for a few years here. Um, Second of all, I mean, if you want the league to be to be great, I mean, you have to have butts and seats. I mean, quite frankly, it's it's a it's a business, so it needs to be viable. Second of all, I want to see fun stuff, and I loved watching uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic play soccer because I never knew what was going to happen. It was truly entertaining, and yes, he's a blowhard, but and he'll never admit it. But Major League Soccer rejuvenated his career. He's gone back to Europe. And been really successful the last two years uh, playing uh, for uh, 
for Milan. Um, yeah, Inter, yeah. Uh, and so he, um, you know, Major League Soccer is, is not going to be one of these top leagues, not probably in our lifetime, but it, it can definitely improve. And if it's improving on the young side, that's great. And if other players are wanting to come here, that's great too. What I will say is that Major League Soccer teams need to be very careful about which of these aging players they sign because it can ruin them for you know three to five years um, if they get a signing wrong. So um, I want to see both players come to Major League Soccer. I think that would be great. I don't know. I, I'm aggravated. I uh, actually, Ian, it might have been you. I went to I went to see the Galaxy against the Sounders, and Beckham wouldn't even wouldn't even play because he didn't want to play on our field. Yeah, that that's hot yeah. garbage. I will say. And Zlatan never played here, not once. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, he yeah. just gets a playoff game. I think. I I think that um I I do agree with you guys that the the fact that you know uh, a lot of the players don't want to play on the artificial turf is is truly hot garbage and is, is weak sauce. Um, and I wish that the league would do something about it. Rich, why do you think there's going to be a possible lockout or a strike? So ESPN's reporting um, as of yesterday, uh, and it's pretty solid here that, uh, that, that, that there's going to be, uh, well, so in the, in the most recent um, collective bargaining agreement that was, that was uh, agreed to between major league soccer and the players, um, in January, last uh, this this year, in January, before everything went to heck in a handbasket, um, part of that contract, um, and, and by the way, these were somewhat acrimonious negotiations. The owners really had the upper hand. Um, they kind of cornered the, the players and beat them down. And one of the things that, that was agreed to was a force majeure, or however you pronounce it, clause. But basically, if there's something extraordinary that that causes you know the fundamentals of the sport to change then we uh you have to negotiate in 30 days uh, or 30 day window to negotiate in good faith um and reports are that major league soccer is going to invoke this clause to force a renegotiation with the players association um my guess is that the players will basically say well yeah life life sucks for you owners life also sucked for us you know this this whole year was crappy and you're not going to, you know, not going to corner us, not going to, you know, take us out to the woodshed again. Um, and that it will then lead to labor strife. Now, what that means, who knows? But um, okay. the players, the players are pretty oh, wait, mad wait, about wait, the last wait, two. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a wait. second. So I'm reading an article from June yep. that they had avoided the lockout by passing a collective bargaining agreement that's good till 2025. So that was in June yep. during COVID, and they agreed to a temporary pay cut to deal with during the COVID Cup and all the return to MLS thing, and then things for this year. And then there were some deals regarding TV revenue, but there's still increase in pay coming, and they're signed through 2025. So I don't understand where a lockout would come from. Uh, the lockout would come. Uh, the lockout pre- predates that that implementation of the force majeure, um, and. The, uh, I, 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 I got a problem with you, Rich, in the respect that every bullet point, and I'm go. I went to the MLS uh, Players Association page earlier today. Mm-hmm. Every bullet point looks like a win for the players, and I don't understand what they're. Wh- why would they? Why would they want a lockout? You know, as of they, a year ago oh, today. I don't you think know, like, they do. 
I don't think the players want this. I think that the Major League Soccer owners don't like the current contract and uh, don't okay, also so don't like the lockout. The, that's not a strike. Then. Well, right. But I think that um, there there is a very, very much a possibility that the players choose to strike um, rather than uh, get locked out um, to basically go into this, you know, on their own terms. Um, the last two times they've had uh, collective bargaining agreements in 2015 and then this last year, um, they were kind of on the receiving end of a lot of uh, the pressure from uh, basically they 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 did they they were not it was not a good relationship, basically. And they were they were they were pushed on a lot of areas they didn't want to be pushed on. And, um, I mean, a couple of the sticking points they really don't like is that there's this pool of money, um, uh, targeted allocation money that's basically has to be, everything has to be approved by the league office and the league office only wants to approve these contracts for foreign players that are coming in. Um, and the TAMs, the TAMs only for foreign. Well, no, no, no. See, that's the thing is that the TAM is for whoever the major league, uh, commissioner's office says it's for. Um, so the the rules were this this actually affected the Sounders a couple of years ago. They wanted to put Stephen Fry on a much bigger contract and sign him to a TAM contract, and the league office said no. They wanted to re-sign Jovan Jones after he helped us uh, go to two you know two uh, MLS Cups in two years, and mm-hmm. put him on one of those contracts, and the league office said no. Right, so this Fry this has is, been a major sticking Swiss point. Jones is, well, Fry is Swiss, isn't he? Well, yeah, he he's Swiss. He he naturalized, but that's not the point. The point was that he was not a, a player in a foreign league coming in, and neither no. was Jovan Jones. And so they, because they want the sizzle, you know, the major league soccer owners want the sizzle. So those are the commissioner's office of all so oh, we signs they're trying to sign they're trying this to, player and that player from this league and that league. Yeah. So in a way, the MLS is trying to incentivize bringing in European players. Right, which is fine. The it's issue is that no, it's kind of gross. Well, well their guess. their argument seems to be. I'm reading the article now. Their, their article seems to be more than the lines of they lost a crap ton of money last year, and they're mm-hmm. you know, they expect the losses to continue into 2021, and they need to be made whole, basically at the players' expense. Is what the way I read it. Yep, basically that's 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 basically what it what it boils down to. Never mind that. I mean, 15 years ago, the league was barely, barely, barely scraping by by the you know skin of its teeth. Now, just about every ownership group is headed by a billionaire. Um, some by have multiple billionaires in their group, uh, or you know, multi, multi millionaires like the Sounders, who have a collection of you know hundred millionaires that are that are co-owners. Um, you know. I mean, the, the Sounders, you know, just a reminder, they have, you know, a bunch of Microsoft executives and, um, uh, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. And, and Russell Wilson. So, I mean, th- these people are not hurting for cash. I, I got one more last question for soccer. Um, our beloved rival, the Timbers, are old. Um, they have Chara and <laughs> Valeri, if I pronounce that right. Mm-hmm. Are, are, are they falling apart? I mean, or... or are they still going to be a contender for us? I, what are your thoughts? I think their demise is is not foretold until we actually see it. I mean, they were with the two seed heading into the playoffs. They kind of laid an egg in their first round, I know. 
in the playoffs this year, but they did win the COVID Cup and are what the MLS is back tournament, whatever you want to actually call it. And I don't see them going away. I think they're pretty well run as an organization. Do they have money too? I mean, like the Sounders or not like the Sounders, but they have money. Yeah, There's I also, mean, also MLS is salary cap. They and they've done well without signing the big, uh, yeah. the big um, designated player signings. They've done well just building a solid roster within the salary cap structure. So that's never been a problem for them. Yeah, I I, I would say this that that they are getting older and their key players are older, but. Um, Long term, they have a problem, and the, their problem is they have no academy to pro you know, first team pipeline. Um, and they've they've had a couple of young players, um, Eric Williamson and um, uh, sorry, uh, Jeremy Abobasi, um, are younger players that have kind of come up through different routes. Uh, Abobasi was drafted, and uh, Williamson. Uh, kind of was like a free agent signing uh, came actually came from uh, Portland Timbers two up to the first team and, and was excellent this last year. These are exceptions to the rule. Um, they, they do have some, some problems in that um, basically they've only ever been good with Diego Valeri and, and Diego Chara on the field. Um, so that, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And I agree with him that uh, their demise is 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 uh, <laughs> highly overrated. We'll we'll have to wait and see. They 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 seem to do this, but long term, I don't know how how successful they can be if they don't build some sort of academy pipeline. I think that they're just going to get um, become a weaker and weaker team without the exceptions you get for having homegrown players who don't count against your salary cap. Um, I don't see how you can survive in a global a global soccer market. Um, just making kind of bottom of the barrel signings, it, it puts too much strain on your scouting department. Abraham are getting old, and it makes me laugh and laugh and laugh. <clears throat> I can't wait to all those jerks from um, uh, what's what's the what's the parallel done? Is it forty nine fifty? No, wait. What um, doesn't matter what their longitudinal or latitudinal level is. Screw those guys to the south. They ain't gonna. They ain't got much time left. Uh, Chara, Vera, they're getting towards the end. Thirty-five year olds, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad when their their demise comes, and I will I will dance on their graves. Well said. <laughs> How about some final final shoutouts, guys? Go ahead and start, Matt. Uh, final shout outs. Um, I, I'm not ready. You, you put me on the spot. <laughs> okay, Rich, you go ahead. <laughs> um, shout outs. Yes. I, I'm going to put a shout out to Russell Wilson and whoever in the coaching staff said, get to the edge because that just made my day. Russell Wilson on the move, on the edge, doing things with his legs, flipping the ball to guys, uh, scoring touchdowns, Seahawks winning, uh, go Hawks. And uh, and hopefully we can uh, also uh, you know get some good news from the Sounders front. How about you, Ian? Do you have a f- shout out to anybody? Shout out to the Seahawks defense. Just keep up the good work. And, and yeah, may the Portland Timbers burn in shallow graves. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I like that. Right Salt on. the ground. Salt the ground. <laughs> Matthew Page, did you come up with one? 
<laughs> Salt the ground. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, guys. Tell us how you really feel. Um, I do not have one this week, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Oh, nothing about sorry. your ducks. Nothing like. Well, I could Oregon mention. I could give a shout it. out to Justin Herbert for setting the rookie touchdown record of all time in the NFL for for throwing touchdowns. You just it's did. It's great that he. It's great that he only won three games. That's amazing. Uh, actually, he won four. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I think it was four. <laughs> Abraham. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, shout out to the Fast Nasties who uh, are doing our new intro and outro theme song. That you're hearing now. Uh, way to go, Eric Martin. Thank you for that. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I just want to say, screw you to 2020. I'm glad this is the last 2020 show we're we're gonna ever we're ever gonna have. Happy New Year, go Hawks. Go sports ball. Go, come on, Mariners. <laughs>